Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Well, thank you guys so much just for having me out here. And I know you already know this, um, but you guys have something really special going on here on campus. And it's, it's been fun being here just over the past uh, day. And I'm excited to hang out some more over the next few days. I appreciate, Danny, the introduction, and uh, I, d- I did have a picture of my family up here. They, they say hello, um, and in fact, every time I talk with some of my littler ones, they just remind me, they say, hey, bring me something back from Idaho. And uh, they're like, what do they have in Idaho? I'm like, hey, potatoes. Okay, maybe I need to bring, I'm not sure what the, they do at airport security if you bring a potato. I don't know, maybe it's fine. But um, I said, I don't know. So if you guys have any other ideas, maybe besides a potato, uh, some things I can bring back for them, that'd be great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, our two, our two older ones, then our five biological ones, and um, it's, it's, a, it's a fun house, and they all say hello. Here, talking about ICOM, even though I come from an organization called TCM, I'm passionate about prayer, passionate about seeing this theme of ICOM this year of perfect unity. And it comes from the chapter of John 17, and we're actually going to dive into that a little bit today and on Thursday. Today we're going to go more into the scripture on John 17, and then on Thursday, going to go over some more examples and other real-life things going on around the world uh, that reflect what we see in this scripture. But I want to start by sharing a story of a guy named James. In the end, James grew up as an Air Force kid, and his dad was in the Air Force, and then so when James came of age, he joined the Air Force. And his tenure in the Air Force was mainly during the 80s, and this, of course, was during the Cold War, and he talks about his time there, and he said, ever since being in the Air Force, from day one, we are taught to hate you know, our enemy, which was those in Eastern Europe, the Soviet Union. And so, I mean, they were our enemy. We, everything we did, everything we were trained to do was to fight, kill, and defeat our, our enemy. And years had passed by, and he left the Air Force, and he became a commercial airline pilot. And he had us in his church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, his wife said, hey, James, let's go on this mission trip over to Austria with TCM. And he said, okay. And so he was thinking about that, and he came to find out that what we do in Vienna is mainly serving Eastern Europeans, those who are um, from that area of the world and being trained to be Christian church pastors, church planners, and a lot of different types of ministry. And so James, reluctantly, I mean, he didn't want to go. Again, his whole life kind of dedicated and thinking that they were the enemy. But finally, his wife convinced him, said, okay, we'll go over there. And so for two weeks, James and his wife, um, they were there, they were cleaning toilets, you know, making beds and serving meals um, to these men and women from Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, Romania, all these former Soviet bloc nations. And his heart began to soften towards them. In one of the final days that they were there, they had a campfire with different students and volunteers were all together and 
he felt convicted. There was a time of silence, so he stood up and he started, he, he, he told them, and using a, a translator, because most of those countries speak uh, Russian, he said, he started to tell a story. And he said, kind of similar to what I told you, he said, I was trained all my life and taught to kill you. And the translator kind of hesitated. He said, no, no, go, you know, go ahead, tell him. And, and he said, but over the past two weeks serving you, I've realized that we're no different. God looks at us the same. I was wrong. And now I see you as, you know, brothers in Christ. And he sat down and, uh, you know, had, had said his piece. And then another guy <laughs> stood up. This man was from Belarus. And he was one of the students taking a course there with TCM in Austria. And he said, he introduced himself, and he said, I too grew up in the Air Force, um, but it was for the, the Soviets. And from day one, we were taught to kill you Americans. And I was a MiG-29 pilot and later a MiG-29 trainer. And he said, I too, after being here and becoming a Christian and seeing this life with Christ, that we are no different and we're brothers in Christ. And they had this moment where they embraced each other right there at the campfire and uh, these two guys stay good friends even today. Now, why do I tell you this story? It's because I think it is just one little example of this perfect unity that we share in Jesus. And for Christians, it's a little easy to see that and in fact, it becomes not surprising to see that over and over again. In fact, we expect that and we want that. But things like this are very, very weird, you know, for the rest of the world. And we have, just in TCM, tons of examples of this where we have Ukrainians and Russians right now coming together and taking classes together on how to be salt and light in their own communities, even when their people, their families are at war against each other. This year at ICOM, we want to highlight that perfect unity that we have. And so I'm going to pray, and I want us to open the scripture and dive into what it looks like to step into this relationship with Jesus and this perfect unity. So Father, I ask that you do just open our hearts and minds as we dive into this scripture. And Lord, some things that I think are the most important are often the most simple. So help us not just zoom over any parts that we think we already understand or comprehend, but Lord, touch our hearts in the deepest points so that we can become more like you and understand what this perfect unity really means. Amen. So John 17, starting in verse 20 through 23, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, if you zoom out from this passage a little bit, maybe flip a few pages back and forth, you see that this is kind of at the pinnacle of Jesus's ministry. 
all leading up to this, chapters one through 16, were about his ministry or John's accounts of Jesus's ministry. And then right after this chapter, it's, it's his crucifixion. In fact, some people think it's about six hours before he went to be crucified when he prayed this prayer. So what does he do? What does Jesus do at this very pivotal moment? Well, not terribly surprising, he prays. And you see in the chapter 17 of this progression of his prayer. If you're looking at your Bible in front of you, you see at the beginning, he prays for his glorification. He prays that God completes his mission through him. Then he moves on to praying for his disciples. But he doesn't just stop with his disciples. He doesn't just stop with the people in front of him there in that time. But he prays for us. In verse 20, it says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? Those who will believe in me through their message, so through the disciples' message. And this gives a great glimpse into Jesus' method, right, his disciple-making. This was his master plan of evangelism. This was his plan A without a plan B, is that these 12 men, and one of them flaked. These 12 men that he would pour into deeply. Jesus spoke to the many. He did many things, but the vast majority of his time was spent with these guys that he knew would replicate themselves and that they would be so grounded in their faith, even everyone but John, to the point of their death. And that each and every one of us in this room is somehow connected back to those 12 disciples and their disciple-making method. Now, you look at this passage, and I think it's almost confusing to read. It's a mouthful. There's I and him and him and me and we, we and us. And <laughs> I, I even stumbled when, when I read it, just to case in point. But it's clear that somehow Jesus is united with the Father, and he's inviting us into that same relationship, that same unity that he shares with the Father. Now, I think this is a big deal. Um, and just kind of as in, in exercise, I went back and read through the Gospel of John and thinking, okay, how many times does Jesus mention this? Or is it, is it pointing to this idea of unity? And I counted 23 times. I may have missed a few times. But how much that John emphasized what Jesus said about him being with the Father, he being the Father, him coming from the Father, him going back to the Father. And I just want to, let's just think about this for a second. When we think of what does that mean to be in the Father? What does that mean to be with the Father? I really appreciate um, British theologian, Dr. Paul, I think is his first name, Paul Fittes. And he says, when we think about experiencing God, he says, it makes most sense if what we traditionally call the persons, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit of God, as nothing more than movements in relationship. So just as an experiment, just try to conceptualize this for a minute. He says an event of relationships, or three movements of relationships since subsisting in one event. And it's hard to wrap our mind around, like who or what, you know, exactly is God. And on one hand, isn't that an advantage, you know, of thinking about God? If we were just to think about God and completely understand and comprehend exactly who and what he is, um, oh man, that's one of my ringtones too. That freaked me out for a second. Uh, <laughs> um, it wouldn't be much of a God, you know, if we could completely understand that. 
Now, he goes on to say, he created us in a way so that we couldn't necessarily comprehend God, but we can experience God. I love this quote from him. He says, the triune God cannot be conceptualized as either subject or object, and so cannot be known by observation, but only by participation. We know God when we engage in relations of love, compassion, and justice. This is a game changer when we think about other human relationships, because I would say you can't fully experience love, compassion, or justice without having another person to do that with, right? And so when we put others before ourselves and we truly love them, we're not just making God happy, but we're experiencing a God who is love. When we put our anger and selfishness aside and we show compassion to others, we're not just fulfilling a commandment that God gives, but we're experiencing a God who is compassion. When we stand up for the weak, in the marginalized. We don't just participate in God's love, but we experience a God who is justice. And in Jesus's prayer, he shows that it's possible to sit in that same relationship, experience that God as we are experiencing this life with one another. It says in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, right? We, as Christians, they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Some translations say perfect unity. And I just, I struggle with this because I think, how is that possible? Doesn't Jesus know how much Christians will fight? (laughs) Doesn't he know how many denominations are going to come and how even about the smallest things are going to divide Christians? But Jesus prayed it and Jesus believed it. And I really do think that Jesus would knew that, right? I like the John Christ uh, comedian, the joke. He said, I know Jesus said not to judge others, but did he really know the kind of people that were gonna be around in 2022? <laughs> No, Jesus knows, he, he understands the world, but I think he knew that there would be something that we could all agree on and that it would be more important than anything else. It would be more important. It would transcend the differences that we have. Because perfect unity isn't something we create, but it is a byproduct of that life within the relationship of a triune God. So kind of my main point, is that knowing Jesus and subsequently knowing the Father has to be the top priority and top commonality in all of our relationships with one another. And I love how in verse 23, it shows what comes of that. It says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And it's through that relationship that all other relationships flourish. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When we put relationships first, our relationship with God and our relationship with others, and I hope you see my point that those really aren't that distinct from one another. We experience that unity in the world will take notice. 
we had a group of Americans go through our, the, the TCM program, and they were at the last kind of class time and the very last class of their master's degree. And they're kind of sitting around the table talking about everything that they had learned. And one of the students was just sitting there and thinking, you know what? I feel like nothing in the world really matters except for relationships. That's the thing that really just matters the most. And, I mean, this group had just been going deep, you know, into theology, deep into the real-life practical issues and struggles and challenges in, in ministry. And all the other students were sitting around and said, you know what, I think you're right. Really, the thing that matters above all else is relationships. And I think the student got it. Through going deep in all of these areas, he realized a God who is relationship created the world out of relationship, saved the world through relationship. He said, unless our top priority is relationship, then nothing else really matters. There's a story that stuck with me about uh, Thomas Aquinas. And if, you, if you've had your church history class yet uh, here, um, you'll know Thomas Aquinas, one of the, the most famous, most probably the most influential Christian writer of the Middle, the middle Ages, and um, I, I really appreciate a lot of his writings and such. And what the story that stuck out to me with him is about the end of his life. And now this is kind of legend. There are different accounts that you can read about this, and you guys should go look it up if you want. Um, but some things that he had some health issues in that towards the end of his life, he actually died, like had a stroke or something, died, but then came back to life like after a few hours or something and got a glimpse of, of heaven. Um, other accounts say that he was, it wasn't actually um, that he died, but he was in a really deep meditative state and he got this vision of God. And what, whatever, whatever actually happened, here's what blows me away. After this vision of God, Thomas Aquinas comes back and he says, everything I taught, everything that I have written is rubbish compared to God. Now, I have this famous painting of Thomas Aquinas. It's kind of hard to see on the little screen, but this was the perception of Thomas Aquinas as a teacher, as a Christian writer. Here he is. He says, when he died, he went up to heaven, and there he is. He's still teaching, <laughs> right? He's still teaching. In fact, Jesus is up there on the left with Mary, on the Apostle Paul, and I think St. Um, uh, Dominic, and a few others, all there listening to Thomas Aquinas, you know, teaching. And this just shows the worldly perception of how much he was revered, how much they looked at him as in authority, in a depth of insight. And yet when he saw the glimpse of God, when he saw that, he used the Latin word for straw. He said, everything I've ever taught is straw compared to the glory of God. And I love that story because I think it's a great posture for all of us to have. And just to say from the get-go, I'm really not that smart <laughs> when I think of the glory of the Father and what he has called to us and what we will experience one day in heaven. Really, anything I say or do, it doesn't really matter compared to that. What matters is the relationships and what God has put right in front of me today. And I don't want you to get me wrong in thinking that, okay, <laughs> you know, 
the professors in the audience are thinking, oh great, now the students aren't gonna care about anything I'm saying, you know, <laughs> today. No, I think studying matters. Theolo- I really believe theology matters. These things really matter. So what I'm saying is that it's not that it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to this unity that we have in relationship with Jesus. And when we think about our relationships with one another, when we have a disagreement, when we, uh, you know, even if you have to not be friends with somebody, how you do that in an honoring way really, really matters. And what's unfortunate is that sometimes it takes catastrophe or disaster for Christians and others to realize, hey, there's something bigger that we're called to, that we need to set aside our little differences and come together on this. Just a quick example, I'm not gonna be able to go into much about things going on in Ukraine and Russia. TCM has hundreds of students right now in Ukraine and in Russia and other places in Eastern Europe. But here's a video of what we got back from one of our TCM graduates who's in Moldova. If you don't know where Moldova is, it's a small country in between Romania and Ukraine. So naturally, they received a lot of Ukrainian refugees towards the beginning of the war that either stayed or went through the country of Moldova. Um, And this is a video that we got back from him. Greetings to you. This is the kitchen of Moldova. This is a covered stadium, the only covered stadium in Moldova left over from the Soviet times. My name is Pastor Yevgeny. I am a graduate of TCMI. We are here as a Christian church trying to do a relief effort, helping these refugees. 36 hours ago, this was an empty sports arena. Six years ago, I was actually on this stadium uh, right behind me where you see the flag, there was a stage and we were preaching the gospel. There were 3,000 people a day that were hearing the gospel. Today, this place is full. There is 800 people here. The rotation is about 300 people a day. People are moving to the West, but mostly these are Roma people who will stay in Moldova. There is a huge need for medical help. There's a huge need for uh, medical resources. A lot of people with diabetes, a lot of uh, children with skin diseases. There's numerous, numerous children. These are makeshift beds. Uh, There's uh, an opportunity to reach out. Greetings to you. This is Kishina Moldova. (laughs) You could stop the video there. It was basically over anyways. Um, But you see all of these churches around Moldova, cross denominations, we have the Catholics, Protestants, all these coming together and serve in this way. Um, And he said in in the message, he said, with this project, there are no denominations. We are the church helping what is going on right now. And I think as we go out and serve, as some of you are gonna be going to ICOM, which I think is one of the best glimpses of the global church that you can see in America. But even if you're not going to ICOM, I know there are different service opportunities that you guys can be doing here. Let's, let's not let it take a war to have us get serious about serving others and showing that, hey, you may not even be a Christian. We may disagree on so many things. But let me tell you and let me show you that there's a God of love, compassion, and justice that transcends anything that we could argue about right now. So I'm excited um, to hang out with you guys more this week. I'm excited to see a lot of you at ICOM. TCM will be one of the kind of like the highlighted missions this year. So um, we've gotten a lot of opportunity to help 
guide some of the sessions that we have. A lot will be focused on prayer. A lot will be focused on just us getting back to the basics on what it means to live a life in Christ and to live a life that you are unified with others and people will notice. So as you go through this week, let those relationships come to your mind, especially those that might be tethered, especially those that there might have been someone who wronged you or someone that you may have wronged. We're all people, and we see that depth and we see that vulnerability that makes a difference in our lives. Just as a quick example before we close, um, there was this one girl, there, her father had recently passed away and they're at a funeral, and they asked the girl, said, what what things did you love you know, the most about your dad? And she said, my dad always said he was sorry. And that really stuck with me. I'm sure that you know, she had a lot of experiences with her dad, but the one thing that stuck out about her most was that her dad always said he was sorry anytime he did something wrong or anytime he wronged her. And it just really convicts my heart and saying, wow, who do I need to say I'm sorry to? This year, may we focus on our relationships. May we find and really lean in to that commonality we have in Christ. It's okay if we disagree about things, but we need to remember what is most important. Because perfect unity doesn't come from agreeing on everything perfectly, but it comes from agreeing that there was one who is perfect and that it's through him that all of our relationships will flourish. So Father, I thank you for this example we have about perfect unity in, uh, in the Gospel of John. Lord, I thank you for this group of students and professors and staff who are here um, that, who exemplify this already. I pray that you continue to challenge them. I pray as they go deeper with you in their spiritual disciplines, in their prayer, in their fasting, in their meditating on scripture, and in their study in their classes, that you would continue to mold them into the people of love, compassion, and justice that you have called them to. And may other people notice that so that you may be glorified. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.